From the makers of the Beyond series, introducing The Chelsea and Eric Show, bringing you more extraordinary stories from the world of triathlon. I'm Chelsea Sodaro, and you know, I still see myself as pretty new to the sport. I'm super curious, and I want to learn from the best. And I am Eric Gilsonen. You know, everyone is a triathlete, they just don't know it yet. Who is your hero in the sport of triathlon? Finish line, whether you're the first finisher or the final finisher, is where all people come together. We're all out there together. That's what I live for. This, this is the Chelsea and Eric Show. And welcome to the Chelsea and Eric Show. Eric, it is so good to be here with you. How is life down in Napa? Thank you so much, the Chelsea and Eric Show. I like that. Sounds great. Life is good in Napa, you know, swimming, biking, and running as I can based on the environment. But yeah, big picture compared to everything else, life is good. And now we get to tell stories about swimming, biking, and running. Swim, bike, run, have fun, as they say, right? I've heard that a few times. I am a big fan, I would say, of our next guest. And I don't make it a habit, actually, of becoming a fan of my competitors. But I think I'll make an exception for this one. The pressure is on for us with our first guest here, wouldn't you say? She's kind of a big deal. Yeah, Marinda Carfrey, three-time Ironman world champion, quite a runner, but also, back in the day, quite a basketball prodigy. Scott Tinley... Uh, two-time Ironman world champion. He won the Superstars competition on the ABC competition in the 70s. Uh, basketball was his thing. But the other basketball go-to in triathlon, Marinda Carfrey. So never play basketball with Tinley or Rennie. They'll get you. Fun fact, Marinda Carfrey was actually the first triathlete that I was ever a fan of. In fact, I became a fan of Rennie before triathlon was really even on my radar as an athlete. We had a mutual sponsor and the head of R&D at the sponsor told me about Rennie. I was kind of following her build up to the 2014 Ironman world champs. And I was hearing these stories about how amazing her training was and how impressive she was. And then I watched her come back from 14 minutes behind or something crazy like that and totally dominate the race in the end. And I was so inspired. It was such an epic race. And... I was totally hooked to following this woman's career um, from that moment forward. And I have continued to be inspired by Rennie. I've gotten to know her on a personal level a little bit over the last year. And I'm always so impressed by her composure, her professionalism, her humility and the way that she handles herself. And I couldn't be more excited to have her as our first guest. Agreed. Brittany, we are so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on our podcast. No worries. My pleasure, Chelsea. Good to see you. It's good to see your face, too. It's been a while. I don't think I've seen you since we were out on the Queen Cave last October, probably. Yeah, definitely. First of all, I think you're 24 weeks pregnant now. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling okay. Kind of goes in waves. Some days feel better than others. yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I'm still swimming, biking, and running. Uh, well, the running is feeling less enjoyable by the week and by the pound, extra pound. But um, yeah, doing all right. That's awesome. That's so great. You're still able to keep up all three sports for now. And yeah, but the hours are down. I'm probably only around twelve to thirteen hours uh, now of um, training altogether. But which is pretty superhuman for someone who's 24 weeks pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, I just feel insignificant when you look at like Michelle Vesterby's training and Meredith Kessler's training. They were like, like crazy training a lot. So, um, yeah, but this I know is about what I did with Izzy and it worked well for that. So stick into the plan. Now, Izzy, uh, is she uh, up to speed on what's going on with the family? Is she uh, understanding maybe uh, being the older sister? Yeah, uh, she um, totally gets it. We, you know, since 
we conceived. So once we found out basically four weeks, we told her and started, she's, you know, over the weeks she learned more and more. And, um, we actually, I was 20 weeks, a couple of weeks ago, obviously. And uh, we were down in Durango and our, um, new videographer, Kenny Withrow was with us and he, I said, Oh, I'm 20 weeks. I'm halfway. And he's like, Oh, Oh, so he goes and looks on his phone. What does that look like? And it pulls up a picture of like a pregnant woman with the like fetus inside. And he's, so he's like, Oh, it's like a real baby. Like it looks like a normal person. And then, so, but Izzy, of course, like I want to see, I want to see. And so she looks and she's just seriously for like two minutes, she's just staring at it going, Oh, hmm, hmm. And so I think like she, we always would tell her and she, she would refer to the baby, you know, in my tummy and stuff, but. It was, it was just really interesting to watch her, like, really studying this picture of a lady, pregnant lady with a, a baby inside. But um, we asked her the other day. Oh, that's so cool. We asked, asked her the other day if she was excited. It was actually a question for a sponsor. They're like, oh, can you ask Izzy if she's excited about number two? And we asked her, and she's like, yeah, but it takes a really long time. <laughs> so maybe we're maybe working on patience. But that's a good sign that she's looking forward to being to leaving her only child status behind and bringing on a sibling. Well, we'll see when the baby comes along. I think it'll be a rude awakening for her when mummy's not 100% focused on little Izzy. Um, but I think she's going to really take a big sister role seriously. That's so exciting. Do you guys know if you're having a boy or a girl yet? No, we're not finding out. Be surprised. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, great. We're excited. So I've always been impressed by your ability to be so focused and fierce when you're on the race course. But then you come across as very laid back to me when you're just interacting socially uh, or kind of like outside of the race experience. And so many triathletes are so type A, so intense. They want to micro every micromanage every aspect of their life. But you put ice cream mm-hmm. in your recovery shakes. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know. Since becoming pregnant again, have you added more ice cream, (laughs) less ice cream? Are you craving the same foods that you normally do? What is on the Rennie menu these days? Yeah, I haven't really had any crazy um, cravings uh, this pregnancy. Um, The thing that I kind of, it's more aversions. And I've been a bit nauseous in and out throughout this pregnancy. So it's more driven by the nausea. Like um, I'm probably less into just eating that much (laughs) but meats I'm like not into eating meats and I wasn't with Izzy either I just kind of was tended towards like salads it's actually a great thing because I with Izzy like I never crave salads when I'm training racing like I'm all about like meat and like carbs and like um ice cream and um you know heavy heavier calories and um yeah when I was pregnant with Izzy I was all about um salad and like fresh um fresh like smoothies and um and fruit and, and things like that and uh, this pregnancy is similar not as much as Izzy but um definitely similar in that I'm craving more of like fresh foods um like maybe um you know, more salads and stuff like that so yeah <laughs> it's a good thing because I'm training less it's so amazing how your body is able to tell you what it needs based on how you want it to perform like obviously you need those things and yeah. you need to fuel your body in that way when you're and heavy training, but right now you need lots of nutrient dense veggies to grow your little your little human. Yeah, so cool. and I'm a true believer in like listening to 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 that. And you know, when I'm starving, when I'm training really hard, and and I feel like a little ice cream, I'm gonna have a little ice cream because my body just needs the calories. I mean, and when you're training that hard, you know, great friend of mine, Craig Alexander, um, always would say when you're training that hard, you put anything in there, it burns. So nothing's gonna stick. Um, I mean, you obviously try to choose, you know, more um, quality uh, ingredients to, to fuel yourself with. But if you want some ice cream or some some chocolate or um, junk food, so to speak, um, burgers or pizza, then go for it. Heard it here, folks. <laughs> the world champion says eat burgers, pizza and ice cream when you feel for it. Best part of training as hard as we do. <laughs> So in between uh, when COVID started to shut the uh, triathlon world down and pregnancy, were you able to remove any of those fine bottles of wine off your uh, wall Mm -hmm. of uh, wine? I know you've been in and out of Napa, my little town, a few times, and we look forward to hosting you in the future. 
But uh, were you able to hoist a few uh, celebration bottles? And if they were, what were they? You know, um, we, throughout the year, there's only really a small window of time where we really don't drink much wine, and that's sort of two months out from Kona. Um, it's been traditionally my time where I, you know, I cut out the ice cream and I cut out the, the wine and I drop a pound or two and I'm at race weight. Race weight. Yeah, pretty much throughout the year, the wine flows freely at our house. And, uh, yes, we have been to Napa um, and spent a bit of time there. We'd love to get back. Uh, more recently, we've been just ordering bottles of wine from Napa. Uh, but, yeah, I got pregnant pretty quickly when COVID hit. Uh, once the races started to cancel end of March, uh, we decided to start trying pretty quick and, you know, we're able to conceive fairly quickly, which is it's awesome. Obviously, now I'm really grateful for that because races continue to to be cancelled, and so there really hasn't been any opportunity for me to race anyway. So I can't think of a better way to be spending my time right now. But um, yeah, Tim has had a lot of wine <laughs> no. um, in the last uh, months, um, and yeah, I, what's a favourite? I mean, I when I'm drinking wine, I always go for the big California cabs, um, yeah. like uh, what's my favourite? Corison. Is a small wine uh, a winery down there that we love. Uh, he he's got a much like more ex- maybe sophisticated palate, <laughs> and he likes like Italians and Barolos and like um, all different crazy um, wines. So uh, if I'm drinking with him, it's usually a Pinot or a or a Cab from California. You've got a large family over in Australia. How uh, is mom and uh, your siblings? I think six of them. Yeah, there's six of us all together. I'm I'm one of six, uh, three brothers, two sisters. Uh, one of my brothers actually in Santa Barbara, and he was out here early on in COVID, uh, and spent like a month in Boulder and Colorado, and we you know got to spend some time with him. And then he's back in Santa Barbara. I think he would like to go home to Australia. He was sort of getting ready to transition. The Terrence. Terrence, yep. He's so. getting ready. Oh, good memory, Eric. Uh, he's getting ready to sort of potentially take you know, his work back down to Australia and transitioned to back down there. But, uh, yeah, there's crazy quarantine rules right now in Australia and it's, you know, four or $5,000 uh, to, you know, basically stay in a hotel with a police officer outside, not letting you leave. It's it's pretty intense down there. So I think he's kind of waiting um, and still working in Santa Barbara. Uh, the rest of my family are all down in Australia in Queensland, um, very low COVID cases down there. So their lives haven't really been affected too much. So that's been good. Um, the rest of my family, yeah, things not too much different. Uh, Queensland borders are still closed and we don't know how much longer they'll be closed for, but they have no need to travel into state for anything. So it doesn't really affect them too much. You know, knowing that you came from a larger family, I knew you guys would grow. And it was so good to see you and T.O. a couple of years ago. It's always great to see good people come together like you guys have. And uh, Izzy's just such a dear uh, but, you know, talk about uh, your mom and uh, the, you know, lifestyle you had over in Australia with all your siblings and, you know, what you've got now as a mother and how what your mother taught you in being a mother yourself. Uh, talk about that a little bit, because I know every time I've ever heard you speak of your mom, it's with such care and passion because, you know, she did not exactly have it easy over there. And no, we had a pretty humble um beginnings uh, we grew up on a farm uh you know small crop farm and um, you know my parents worked very hard for everything we had and you know I know there were many weeks when my mom you know was kind of figuring out how to feed the six of us and um you know I I knew I was well, you know the younger kids so I was you know fourth in line but you know you knew that there was stress around her or you go to the grocery store and she'd be adding up the groceries um okay I have a hundred dollars and I need to feed the kids for the next week and a half. And so, yeah, I saw the stress. So I saw her credit cards decline at the checkout and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, she had it tough. But I look at back on my childhood and I know there was stress involved in terms of money a lot of the time. But I also just feel like I had such a wonderful childhood. We were outside all the time. We were on the farm. Yes, we were working um, and helping um, our parents where we could. I mean, I was, again, one of the smaller ones. And so I would fold the cartons um, for the lettuce. My brothers would pick the lettuce. My, you know, my sister would pick the lettuce too. And 
um, you know, carry them out to the truck and, and dad would take them off to the market. But, um, yeah, I felt like we were just always outside running around, um, getting into mischief. Uh, yeah, I sometimes think I don't know how we survived <laughs> our childhood because we were just like just out there. Right? We'd leave in the morning and mum would call us for lunch and call us in for dinner. So um, it was a great childhood, uh, a lot of fond memories, um, some tough memories too, but uh, we had a great upbringing and it really centers around the strength of my mother. My parents didn't have a – around when I was about three or four, my dad had an accident actually and he didn't have a seatbelt on and went through the front of the truck landed on his head and mum was kind of sheltered from the extent of his injuries from his siblings and his family um but it really changed his personality from then and from there my mum and dad really had a tough relationship and so that was really hard as well he couldn't work as hard on the farm but you know mum didn't know why and his um personality had changed a little bit so yeah from a young age for me, uh, I know there was a lot of tension between them, but mum sheltered us from a lot of a lot of that. And um, and then, you know, growing up, you know, as I said, I, you know, I play basketball. I love playing basketball and followed my brothers into that. And and she made sure I had every opportunity in that sport, even though we really had no means to send me off to um, training camps. She would find a way to get me there. And um, yeah, just forever grateful for all of that. And I was grateful before I had, you know, a baby. But I, I say this now, once you have a child, you can't appreciate your mum as much as you can when you have a child because you didn't understand, like, how much these little people mean to you. And I can just only imagine, like, how hard it must have been for her knowing sometimes, like, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to be a little short on food for a few days. Um, I'll have to <laughs> ration it out and just having to, you know, that reality to have to face. So. Um, very strong woman and um yeah, I mean now she's she's doing great. She's actually, you know, just finishing building a house, her dream house down in Australia. The land that we were living on um is only fifteen minutes outside the city and so it kind of has turned into a bit of a gold mine for her and so that'll be her retirement and um she's doing great. You know, you're for how accomplished you are, Rennie, you're so incredibly humble. Was that something that was like instilled into you from your parents when you're growing up or is that just something that is part of who you are or you learned along the way or where does I'm curious where that comes from because I'm, I mean your accomplishments speak for themselves yeah I think um I think it's part of growing up in that environment and um being one of six kids and you know I I got beat up on by my brothers forever you know they never let me win anything uh, and I think, you know, if I ever was to, you know, even start to excel in anything, that'd quickly pull me back down um, to their, you know, to their level. And, um, yeah, there was there's never any uh, uh, cockiness or big headedness really in our, our family. It just wasn't a part of who we were. And, yeah, I think that's really shaped just growing up in that environment kind of shapes who you are. And um, for the most part, I'm just like, grateful for the all all of the opportunities that I've had and yes I've had some really great results and a really great career uh but I've had some great people help me along the way and I just yeah I think you know what you see is really what you get like I love doing you know doing what I do I feel lucky to be able to do what I do I have a great team behind me and you know I couldn't do all of this without you know all of those things in place has do you think that motherhood has changed your approach to the sport? Uh, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you can have a baby and not be changed. Um, it just changes your whole perspective. It opens up your world, really. To be honest, uh, prior to having Izzy, you know, like any athlete, I had a single focus, and that was to win Kona or do the very best that I could do in Kona every single year. And obviously, married to a husband who also had the same goal, and so that was just our world revolved around Kona every year and you know it still does but more important than that it revolves around our family and, and Isabel and having you know making sure she's happy and she's getting everything she needs and our family's happy um and so yeah I think it's made me enjoy the sport more if you know like I, I always love the sport and I love racing but 
having a child on the sideline and um, getting to race, you know, before it was just like, I, oh, this is just what I do. I go and race and you have a little one and, um, you know, having help that can watch Izzy. And then for me to be able to um, continue to race and, and, you know, I was pretty excited to be able to have some really great races after Izzy as well. Some of, I think my best performances over the 70.3 distance in my career. So yeah, that was just so fun uh, to get back out on the race course and, and having a year off as well. I think a lot of athletes with this COVID um, are just going to be out there celebrating racing. And I think you can get so much more out of yourself when you do that. Um, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch athletes out racing again next year. Speaking of that, I think that you are a great example for female athletes um, becoming a parent and coming back to sport. But what advice would you give to to other female professional triathletes or just female athletes kind of at the highest level that are looking um, to become moms? Yeah, I think the, the best advice um, I can give and, you know, what I found through my pregnancy with Izzy was just to really enjoy the process of being pregnant and the miracle that that is. I think, um, you know, sport and, you know, our profession is very important in our lives and has been for a lot of us for a long time. It's been our single focus. And I, I just really enjoyed kind of taking a step back, um, knowing that, you know, I was going to come back and race again, just taking a step back and, um, you know, going on hikes, um, doing different trails that I would never, ever do or never have done uh, when, you know, I was training. I mean, I'm kind of the kind of athlete that I have a formula um, obviously I have a great coach, um, but I have a formula. I know what rides work. I know like there's going to be no nonsense on, you know, certain things. I run from home a lot. I don't, I mean, I live in Boulder, Colorado. There's beautiful trails everywhere. You can drive 15 minutes and have a completely different experience on a run. I never would do that ever because I was all about, okay, I know I can do this run here. I'm not really here for the scenery. I'm here for the work. And so cool. once I got pregnant, I was like, well, I'm going to go and, enjoy this and with Izzy I didn't have another little one at home waiting for me but um yeah so I was free to just go and you know catch up with friends um maybe incorporate you know I also am not a coffee shop you know I never stop at the coffee shop I know that's a big cycling culture and a lot of triathletes <laughs> do that as well but I have never like gone to a coffee shop in the middle of a ride and hung out like I go to yeah. the service station I get a coke and snickers we're there for 15 minutes and then we go um yeah. so yeah just just enjoying, you know, reconnecting with friends that you kind of just don't have time to. And, um, yeah, take this time to just enjoy where you live um, and appreciate the miracle that you're creating and, you know, try to keep everything low stress. Obviously, that's a really important for the baby. But, um, yeah, I think especially that first baby. The second baby is a little bit more hectic, but um, I'm still trying to do some, you know, I've been doing a little bit of hiking, which I never, ever, ever hike. Um when I'm training. So enjoying that and doing different things. Is, yeah, it's fun. That's so great to hear and, and awesome advice. Are you doing anything differently with this pregnancy? I know it's different because you have a three-year-old <laughs> at home that demands a lot of your attention, but are you doing anything differently from a st training standpoint this time around than what you did when you were pregnant with Izzy? So with Izzy, I was, um, I really did take a step back. I didn't consider myself a professional athlete anymore. I just considered myself, um, a mom, uh, soon to be mom. And so, you know, I fell pregnant with Izzy right at the end of my holiday after Kona. So it was around Thanksgiving, the end of November that we found out we were pregnant. And that was when I was about to start training again, you know, to, you know, start, kick it off for the next season. And so I actually never even went on a program. I just sort of, did what I felt, um, kept act active throughout the pregnancy, uh, but never was really on any specific program. I joined different master's groups to swim and oh my God, master's groups. I mean, it depends on the ones you pick, but it is such a different feel to like the triathlon training that I'm used to in the swim squad sure. that I'm used to. I mean, yeah, sometimes frustrating because the, you have the guy or the lady that stops yeah. her watch or clicks her watch at every 25. Um, totally. But um, it's just a whole different vibe. But um, again, a different experience that was sort of fun to take part in. Um, but yeah, like, I, again, I just didn't really kind of just rolled with it. 
And I was a little nervous the whole time because you know, growing this little human, you don't know what's going on in there. You're worried about everything. You're second guessing everything. You're checking everything on your phone. Like, is it okay to do this? Am I okay to do this? Um, and with the second pregnancy, I'm a little bit more relaxed. I'm also a lot fitter. I was a lot fitter when we conceived because I was eight weeks out from St. George Ironman. So um, this time I've tried to keep my fitness longer. So I, I stayed on program with Julie uh, Divins, who's my now coach, and uh, until the beginning of this month, actually, she, she had a structured program for me. And, and yes, it was, you know, obviously for a pregnant person and not a professional athlete, but I definitely kept some um, intensity in there. Uh, I mean, maybe at week 18, I was doing some mile repeats. Yes, they were a lot slower than I would normally do, but the heart rate was there and the effort was there. So I was doing similar effort without the crazy high end efforts. Um, sure. that I would have done before, but, you know, prior to being pregnant and with Izzy, I didn't do any intensity. I just, I just went and jogged. I just went and rode my bike with friends and I just went and ran until I couldn't anymore. And then I hiked, but, and I'm oh, sorry, I swam the master's group with uh, some just uh, recreational athletes, I should say. Um, but yeah, I've been going to some master's programs because of COVID. We have very limited pool access here. And there's a lot of this like schooling action and yeah. kicking action and changing of strokes. Like I swim freestyle yeah. <laughs> on a short send off. That is it. <laughs> totally. It's completely different. And it's, well, master's programs for entertainment, right? And all the sets are so small. It's like, yeah. I'll do eight 25s. And then, you know, like it's, it's, it's just <laughs> no. different, but it's, it's kind of, it's really fun to, to go and do that. And yet, I mean, 100%. trying to do butterfly and change up strokes when you're pregnant is even harder. Are you still doing the uh, swim lessons with uh, Izzy? Yeah, she is um, still doing swim lessons and she's doing them twice a week. Um, we'll keep her on twice a week until it's too cold and maybe try and go to one one time a week. But she's a little fish, man. She's amazing in the water. This morning she swam and um, she just learned how to – because she can, she can probably get maybe 15 feet across a pool but it looks like she's drowning. Like she's like taking a breath and like her feet are dangling way down and then trying to go forward again. But she just learned how to um, just flip on her back and she can kick on her back, um, take a breath. And then she flips back over on her tummy and swims a little bit more. She's, she's incredible. Um, and just love Maybe a future triathlete. You think you'd encourage them? You know, I, we don't, we won't. Um, I, honestly, monkey see monkey day. She, Whenever I'm getting ready to go out for a run, she's like, Mommy, I, I'm coming too. And so she'll run like the first 150, 200 meters with me. And then I kind of have to be like, Okay, Izzy, I'm good. No, I want to come. No, Izzy, I'm running like 45 minutes. Like, you can't, your little legs can't run that far just yet, babe. But she's so, she's so enthusiastic and just, and she has a little, little, um, strider bike or scooter she wants to ride with us and stuff. So honestly, I think she will probably want to do triathlon, but we're trying to expose her to, you know, I wanted to do some team sports. That's what I grew up doing. Uh, we have her in soccer. If there was basketball for little ones, this little, I have her in it. Um, uh, she does soccer, um, swimming and gymnastics right now, and we'll just keep changing it up. Um, but she like really likes, um, gymnastics and swimming. I don't know if she loves the soccer as much, but, um, yeah, I just want to expose her to a bunch of different sports and see what she wants to do. And, um, I also want to put her in like, um, you know, dance or singing or something because she just loves music. She's like every day asking Tim to dance with her and put the music on. It's pretty cute. And luckily she w will not have any adult onset swimming issues. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like uh, we had. No. Yeah. Well, Tim, Tim started swimming when he was six, like he was on the swim team when he was five or six. And so I think Izzy will be on the swim team um, awesome. when she's fairly little. In case she wants to be, a, just in, in case event that she decides she wants to be a triathlete. Yeah. The frustration that I've had yeah. Chelsea I'm sure you've shared um yeah 100%. hopefully I know Eric's got his son in swimming and he's doing pretty well too so that's right you were with Siri Lindley for most of your career and you mentioned earlier that you have reached recently changed coaches and you're now working with um Julie Dibbins how how is Siri doing I know that she's had a really really tough um past year or so with her cancer diagnosis and uh, yeah, have you spoken to her, or you know how, how yeah. she's doing? Yeah, we've um we've kept in pretty close contact, and um, Ju Siri and I actually decided to um 
part ways like two weeks before she was, was diagnosed. Um, oh, wow. She had no idea. She was actually going in for hip surgery and she was doing um, pre-op bloods and they were like, wait a minute, this is a little odd. Um, wow. Anyway, we sat down and, she, you know, she's doing so much public speaking with uh, uh, Tony Robbins and she's crazy busy. I mean, last year yeah. definitely felt a shift in her focus. And so we kind of sat down and we're like, yeah, I think it's time. Our natural progression is, you know, to you to move on your way and my, move, move my way. We're still great friends, no hard feelings. And, um, yeah, I started working with Julie. But, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later she called me. It was right around Thanksgiving and was like, I have some really tough news. And um, she told me she was um, diagnosed with uh, my, uh, acute myeloid uh, leukemia. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And so obviously look it up. Diagnosis is not um, pretty. Uh, the right. I'm sorry, prognosis is not pretty. Um, but she's been incredible, he, you know, as only Siri can be, the most positive person you'll ever meet. And she, you know, tackled it all head on. And um, she's, I think, six weeks post, no, sorry, six months post stem cell transplant. So okay. she had that uh, six months ago and she's doing great. Um actually went for a hike with her uh, last Friday. She's putting weight back on because, you know, appetite is really suppressed when you're on yeah. all of those, you know, like 60 pills or something she had to take a day. And, um, yeah, she's, she's, getting, she's got her shine back, you know, like she's got her, the glimmer. She, she never really lost the glimmer in her eye, but like just her shine and her energy is coming back and you can sense that when you're with her. Um, yeah, I mean, she won't, I don't know, that you're out of the woods for a couple of years or two or three years after, but she's definitely, you know, hit every milestone with flying colors and, um, you know, everything looks positive. So um, that's the main thing. And yeah, she's, that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah. You know, the whole community is just rooting for her. Yeah. She's doing so great. She's got like, <laughs> she's growing back, like really dark and curly hair. And she said, I had to get a haircut. Because it, she's like, it's so like thick and curly. It's kind of crazy how like, you know, her hair's growing back all different. And, um, right. but she's, yeah, she's as positive and as great and as she ever was. And, um, just hoping that she continues to, you know, on this path to wellness. You know, talk about Julie Dibbins, who you're currently coaching with. Uh, you know, not a lot of athletes know about the greatness of Julie. And, you know, she represented the UK and, uh, she was uh, out in the lead in Kona. Um, a few injuries brought her down early. But uh, talk about her as a coach. I can't imagine anybody trying to be a poser coach with you because you're such an authentic, genuine triathlete. Do you see yourself being a coach in the future? Because you have so much experience, passion. Uh Anybody would be lucky to have you as a coach. Do you ever see yourself wearing that jacket? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, Julie Divins has obviously been a great friend of mine, and she was a, a great friend slash rival back in the day. Um, you know, we, she, you know, she raced ITU, was very good at ITU distance, and um, just the norm on the bike. And then came across to seventy point three racing. She won a seventy point three title, um, and then you know she was in Kona, I think, in twenty. 10 maybe she did 09 as well but I think 10 was when she or 11 might have been when she had a massively one of the years she had like a 20 20 plus minute lead off the bike just crazy talented and and that's when you know her injuries sort of brought her down and um you know she had a knee problem and a foot problem she ended up getting surgery on the surgery um didn't really help um and so it kind of like put her out of triathlon prematurely I might add um, and so I think she struggled a little bit with that for a little while and then she found coaching and she has just been incredible. I mean, she coached uh, my husband. She started really with Tim, o, uh, Tim Don, who's also a, a British phenomenal triathlete, um, has a very strong group and has had a very strong group for a number of years now. And she coached him to his two most successful Konas the past two years, second place this past year and third or fourth the year before. Um, but yes, yeah, her attention to detail is incredible. She's on pool deck, um, comes from a swim background, so the swim program's um, you know second to none. Um, she her cycling program she defers a little bit to Matt Bottrell, but I just have her coach my cycling, and um, I'd only been working with her for I guess three or four months, but 
I was riding better than ever. The numbers, the power numbers were better than they'd ever been before. FTP was as high as it's ever been. So I was pretty excited um, to put that into action. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll continue with Julie, you know, once the baby's here and um, see how 2021 20, pans out. But, yeah, she's just – I think she's – in the future we'll be talking about Julie as one of the greatest coaches of all time, um, let alone her pretty phenomenal triathlon career. Um, and, yeah, my self-coaching, it's something that I sort of, you know, think about, um, but I don't want to – I would never do it until I'm properly retired because I – I've had people ask me if I'll coach them and I, I, I just can't put the energy into someone else when I'm still trying to focus on my career and put everything into um, getting the, res- the results that I can. And so it's something that I'd look at for post-career. Uh, I'd want to, you know, maybe do a little bit of study as well first, uh, especially before taking on any professional athletes, you know, if that's something that I end up doing. But, um, yeah, I can see myself doing some coaching post-career. There's this curse that we talk about among professional runners, among professional runner married couples. Okay. And it's that there's never like both parties in the couple that are competing well at the same time. You and Tim seem to defy that. Mm-hmm. You both have been competing at such a high level for quite a long period of time and you seem to be doing very well at the same time. Can you speak a little bit to that, how you guys make that work? Because I don't know how we would do like more than one triathlete in our household, but you guys are two of the best in the world living together and doing it together. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. I mean, maybe from the outside looking in, it looks like we're doing well, but I feel like it's really rare that we both like nail a race on the same day. And, uh, you know, we have had a couple of you know, races where we've both been like, yeah, that was amazing. But if you look at our Kona's, generally, like, well, last year I didn't finish and he got second in the world. The year he got third was the, you know, the year I got knocked off my bike and couldn't finish. And so his two best, best performances in Kona were the two years that I actually didn't have worse Kona's I, you know, I had. Um, but we did, we have had a couple of years, um, 13 I won and he got fifth, which was at that time his best uh, performance in Kona. And yeah, this is something that we've kind of struggled with, but I think what helped or what we've found helps is having our own teams. And so especially, when you know, throughout the year, it's kind of like, okay, you know, we'll go and do our races and we'll do our best and um, see what happens. And sometimes we both have decent races. Sometimes, you know, you know, it could be any combination. But then when we get to Kona, it's like, okay, you have your team, you do your thing. I have my team. I'm going to go do my thing. And really early on in our marriage and relationship, like I found it really hard to focus on my race because I was so excited for him to do well and just like wanting him to have the race of his life. And, um, you know, I'd be in the swim thinking, I wonder if Tim had a good swim. Like, I wonder, you know, how he's feeling. And then I'd be out in the Queen K, like looking for him, looking for him um, and hoping he was having a good day. Um, And then I, we kind of, came to realize, okay, we can't put that much energy into each other on race day. We have to be selfish. The best gift I can give to Tim is to focus on myself and have a great race. And the best gift he can give to me is the same thing. And so it all, it's almost like, okay, where you're not my team right now, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. I have to be selfish. You have to be selfish. And that's kind of worked really well. And also the fact that, you know, he has had different management. He did have a different coach and now you know, I'm working with Julie too, so we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, we had separate coaches. We have set, had separate managers. You know, he would have, you know, his manager pick him up and take him to his appearances. I would have mine. I'd go and do my thing. Um, you know, we'd come back and have dinner together at night and go to bed and same the next day all the way leading into Kona. And then, yeah, on race day, just try and, you know, that's not to say, you know, when I'm on the Queen K and the men are coming down, I'm definitely, okay, is, where's Tio? Is he having a good race? Have a look, see what he's doing. Great race. Amazing. Okay, good. Bad race. Okay, I need to have a good race. (laughs) You know, like you still take, you can't help but take into account or at least keep an eye out for them on the course. But um, yeah, I think that's been somewhat successful in having us both race decently well at most races. Yeah, I think that takes a lot of emotional intelligence. (laughs) I think you know, like in my relationship, my husband is my primary source of 
emotional support. And I could never give that kind of support that he gives to me, like when I'm racing. And so, so you must have like really created an exceptional team of people that give you that when you're like partner can't really do that for you on race day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was for me, the beauty of Siri Lindley, um, having her, um, you know, I started working with Siri before I met Tim. Um, you know, we we're a pretty great team and, uh, she definitely, I learned on her for a lot of that emotional support through race week and, and Julie as well. Like Tim has only been working with her for a few years, but we've known Julie since, you know, we, we met, uh, we were really all been really close friends for a long time. So, um, him having her and, um, yeah, I think it really comes down to your team around you. 100%. Rini, what makes Julie Dibbon so good? Coaching is a real uh, hot topic because there's so many people prescribing exercise and ending up with injured athletes. When you're dealing with someone like Julie that has the ability to communicate to both you and Tio at the highest level, uh, let's share with our listeners maybe what makes a good coach and what makes Julie so good. I think Julie's attention to detail is second to none. I mean, the fact that she's here in Boulder, obviously I've kind of always had a coach be able to put eyes on me, which is, I think, it's not the most important thing, but it really does help when you can show up to swim and they can see you swimming or drowning uh, and to, you know, tell, you know, back it off or, you know, keep pushing forward and, you know, turn up to run sessions and look at your, you know, stride and, and just see how you're moving. I think your body tells the story when, you know, you see it in person when you're out there exercising. And I've had that throughout my career, a coach that's actually there in person. But her attention to detail in, you know, in training peaks, I mean, I remember when I first started working with her, I went out on a, I had a 30 minute easy jog in the afternoon on the schedule. And so I went out for the jog. I got like 10 minutes in and saw a friend who was in Australia and stopped for about 20 minutes and chatted. And then I kept running, finished the run. And I, you know, I just stopped my watch and then did, you know, started again when I started. And then um, she, she put a comment in there. Oh, who did you see on your run? And I'm like, how many coaches actually would see that and pay attention and actually be like, oh, what are you, what are you doing out there? Um, but, yeah, like just, yeah, every key session she will analyze and take into account and make adjustments throughout the um, throughout the week if need be. But just to know that she's, oh, she's really watching. Because I think some coaches, they write the program and then you barely hear from them. You're like, I guess everything's good and I think – it comes down to her attention that she gives and the time she puts into all her athletes and the energy you can see at the end of the year, she is spent. Like she is like needs a month off, um, you know, away from the athletes because she just is thinking about her athletes and focused on her athletes and, and putting so much, you know, you know um, energy and emotion into each athlete. Well said. So when you start Miranda Carfrey coaching LLC, <sighs> What do you what do you think you'll take from your coaches throughout the years? Well, I think um, I, I think it's going to be really great because Siri was really a coach for feel. Uh, there was no real attention to numbers on the bike. She'd be like, "Okay, like go ride hard," and I, you know, over the years you figure out what hard is. Okay, go ride easy. You know what easy is, and okay, go ride like medium. You know that's kind of yeah. like how she coached whereas julie's like okay now ride at this watts okay now ride at these watts hold these watts and so i'm kind of learning how to, you know to train uh with with numbers and uh with heart rate and all that stuff but with siri it was just like race pace um no heart rate data tell me how it feels is it hard is it easy how are you feeling and so there was there was much more perceived exertion with siri and i think that that is has you know, it's beautiful in a lot of ways, but then I think, you know, having some numbers in there is also really helpful just over time to be able to like really, you know, track your progression. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm going to, well, hopefully take a little bit from, from each coach. Um, but I definitely, you know, I've, I've been, was with Siri for a long time. So I think, you know, perceived exertion is really important. Like if, you know, it feels really hard and, I think it also you've got to know your athletes. You know, some athletes are maybe a little less inclined to share with you if it was too hard. Like, oh, yeah. and like most triathletes, oh no, it's not hard. I can do this all day. 
and other athletes are quite honest and I was always very honest like no this is really hard or no I'm really exhausted today um and so yeah I think you have to also read your athletes so I think there's a big you know there's a lot to learn there's a lot of moving pieces in coaching and uh, I think it's yeah we'll see (laughs) definitely but that's kind of the best of both worlds you know when so many triathletes tend to be very data obsessed and lose track of that internal clock and feel and mm-hmm. internal measurement right of effort. And so to be able to teach both of those things could be pretty powerful. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It'll be a lot. <laughs> Cause I, yeah, I might need it. We'll give you a few years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Rini, it just seems like a few years ago, you were 19 years old over in Australia and you did your first triathlon. And it was a different thing. Got away from basketball at five two, five three. Uh, the coaches never saw you as the athlete you were and are. They saw you as a height, and that unfortunately you reached a ceiling in the sport of basketball, no which is our blessing because we ended up with you as a triathlete world champion, and the Australian basketball team missed out on that. But can you imagine? Do you look at where you're at right now, living in Boulder? having family over in Australia, can you imagine, you know, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you'd be where you're at today? No. Uh, that's the that's the quick answer to that question. Um, you know, once I started triathlon and started to get success uh, in this sport, I sort of had a glimpse of what maybe could be. And I had, you know, a dream um, of what I wanted in this sport. But rewind to when I was playing basketball and no, like, I mean, this is so far off my radar and so far, um, so foreign to what path I was on. I mean, I, you know, I just started university. Um, I was still playing state league, but it was kind of like, oh, I'll just play basketball, um, you know, at the highest level I can in Queensland, which is not going to be anything super special and, you know, get my degree and then go get a job and, you know, whatever. And then I found triathlon and had success fairly quickly. I did my first race in 99, as you mentioned. Um, but by 2001, I was on the Australian junior team, which was massive, like getting to pull on the green and gold for the first time, travel internationally for the first time. Yes, I like just scraped into the team and I was pretty useless in that first world championships because I was so far behind out of the swim. But, um, you know, a year later in 2002, I actually finished second at the under-23 world champs and that beat the girl who won the junior world championships the year before, Nicholas Spirig, who you might have heard that name before, um, yep. beat her in a sprint finish. And, you know, that for me was like, okay, wow, like I can do this sport. This is something that I could really excel in. And that kind of just opened my mind to, you know, the possibility of, you know, being a professional, a legitimate professional, making a living in um, the sport of triathlon. And it was around 2003, maybe 2002 that I, first started looking at Ironman and you know I noticed I before that I was all about Olympic distance and you know in Australia it was you know although we had Welchie and MJ I mean MJ wasn't doing um Ironman yet then but she was doing some long course races and non-drafting in the US but we had like all the greats in ITU racing we had like you know Jackie Gallagher Emma Carney Loretta Harrop Nikki Hackett yeah, like we just had such amazing athletes in Olympic distance and that was kind of the focus. Like, like you're going to do triathlon and do Olympic distance. But then I'm like, well, what's this Ironman thing? What's this thing over in Hawaii? And um, that really captured my imagination. And at that time, Natasha Badman was the um, just phenom in the sport. She was, you know, you know, not the best swimmer like myself, <laughs> and but just a cr- incredible on the bike and a pretty good runner. Um, and so I just started looking at that and being like, that's what I want to do. And then I sort of like, well, Natasha's in her mid thirties. I'm in my early twenties. Um, maybe I wait a little while and, um, you know, take the steps through the sport. And that was, you know, I wasn't until nine before I did my first Ironman, but, uh, the seed was, um, planted back in like Oh two. And I started to, you know, pay attention to Ironman and yeah. And what an awesome. illustrious journey has been since then. Yes. What do you hope to the next few years look like? What still excites you and what do you still want to accomplish in Ironman or in, you know, long course racing? That's a good question, Chelsea. I get asked a lot, like, why do you keep 
crushing yourself. You have three world titles at the Ironman. You've done, you know, pretty amazing, you know, job. And now you have kids. Like, why? And I, the why is because I love it. I love um, competing. I love getting out there and um, seeing what I'm capable of. And and I still believe I have some great performances in me on the Big Island. And that is the number one driving force. I, I feel that, like last year. I had such a great year. I felt so strong. And then, you know, five weeks out, I broke my arm and that kind of derailed that whole um, preparation. But I really felt that I was uh, in great, you know, condition to have a a great performance in Kona. And so that was driving me this year and then obviously COVID. And so, you know, we decided to, you know, try for another baby, but that's what will drive me post the second baby. Um, Just, you know, now I'll be a mum of two kids. Um, what can what can Izzy's mom and in, in this little Bean's mom do? Um, and that that's a different kind of goal. Um, but it, I mean, it still has the same sort of drive at the end. You know, like my my motivation is to go to Kona and just put together a perfect performance. And I think that will land me somewhere close to the front. Obviously, there's some pretty fast women racing. Uh, especially Daniela right now, who's doing things that are incredible, but you know, anything's possible on that big island. And um, yeah, I just feel like I have another performance or two in me that um, I can be proud of. And, and then I'll be okay. Then I'll be okay to walk away and um, just be mom and maybe coach a little bit. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think anything really is possible and it, it's so fun to watch the level that you're competing at and that you continue to compete at. In the sport that I came from, you know, once you got to your, you know, late 20s, you were kind of, you're kind of done. Yeah. And now, you know, we see these women competing at the very pointiest end of the field into their late 30s. And I think there's no reason that you can't be at your very best when you're 40 years old as yeah. an Ironman triathlete. Absolutely. And I mean, we, you know, you see it right now on the men's side. Jan was, you know just turned 39 to so 38 when he had that performance last year. Tim was 39, freshly turned 39, had his best ever performance in Kona. So it just goes to show like the endurance sports, um, you really can keep as long as you look after your body. I think that's the key, like looking after your body, staying healthy, not getting injured. Although Tim did have his fair share of injuries last year, but you get smarter and you figure out, okay, how, you know, maybe you can't race as many times in a year, but you can have some pretty great performances and that mental strength and that uh, learning throughout the years of racing and having failures and having setbacks and they're in an Ironman distance race, you know, they can, you know, come out and, you know, show that late thirties, early forties, uh, Natasha Badman was one athlete that was late thirties, early forties and still racing phenomenally well. I think at 46, she got like sixth in Kona That's and, nice you know, level. Didi Griesbauer also yep. still racing. Yep. Uh, she's turning 50 this year. She's one of my training partners. Kicks my butt on the bike, like on the daily. Uh, not right now because I can't keep up at all. But when I was fit <laughs> a few months back, um, yeah, it's just incredible. Uh, if you want to do it, it's key as well. Making, you know, having the passion to do it. But having the passion to do it, staying injury free, you can keep racing. And age is just a number. Yeah, Fernanda Keller. And Fernanda as well. <laughs> How many years did she race going? Like 20? And, and she's still going. Mm-hmm. Kenny Glaw too. So, Rini, one piece of advice to triathletes, whether they're listening to this podcast and they're new into the sport or they've watched you do your thing out there on the Kona Coast, one thing from the neck up and one thing from the neck down. Uh, just a nugget of mental advice and then uh, one uh, physical fitness uh, tip that you'd give. Uh, neck up one, I think. A lot of this sport is the mental side of it. And uh, a statistic I heard uh, a long time ago was 80 to 90% of athletes don't perform to their ability on race day. And I just have always focused on being the 10% that performs to my ability. Because you you get to a race start and there are so many great athletes. And I think there are athletes that look around and like, how am I going to compete? These, These girls are so much better than me. They're stronger than me. They're faster than me. But they, not everyone performs to their ability on race day. And so to keep that in mind, first of all, and just not be one of those athletes, be in the 
perform to your best of your ability and then you can walk away and be happy and also you'll be surprised how well you do and so I think you know that's just one little tip to keep in mind um, I think a, a lot of athletes also are afraid to put their best out because if they do have their best race and it's not good enough then you know where does that leave them uh, and so you know I've definitely seen many athletes come up short because they were afraid to put everything on the line and I've always been like that makes no sense you know if you put your best on the line today and it's not enough it doesn't mean you can't be better tomorrow this doesn't mean next week next month next year you can't be better it means today someone beat you and they're better than you and I, you can be okay with that and you can walk away from the race and be fine with that you have an honest assessment of your abilities you know the athlete that shies away from it well I didn't quite push as hard as I needed to you know they've got an excuse you know for the rest of you know their lives oh well I could have but I didn't quite go all in and maybe I could have won um, I'd rather just put it all out there if I lose I lose and that's okay um, from the neck down I think Siri Lindley early in my career just told me look after your body um, you have one body it works really hard for you you put it through a lot, so take care of it. And with that has been kind of the basis of my whole career in that make sure I get massage, make sure I um, use the Normatec boots, but also make sure I have mental downtime. And we split our year up um, into like three segments pretty early on. And that was, you know, early season racing through May, take a week off, mid-season racing, uh, take a week off and when I take a week off I don't do anything you're not allowed to bike swim run you just sit on the couch watch movies drink wine behave badly and and then come back and um, get back to work and I think that's the reason why I've had longevity in the sport because of taking care of my body been injury free for the most part except for the broken arm and the um, knock off the bike but they were kind of freak accidents and yeah but the mental being excited to race um i think that comes from having time off throughout the year having like a week and going you know up the mountains or sitting on the beach and um in the end of the season two we have two weeks off and so having that cycle has really helped um myself and tim through our careers just with the longevity side nice I think we're going to transition to our quick fire section here. All right. Quick uh, couple of questions. Uh, Rini, your uh, favorite mantra or saying when you're out there training or racing, what's your go-to? Uh, if it is to be, it's up to me. Awesome. Your favorite journey. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> this journey, the one I'm on right now. <laughs> I like it. What's your favorite sound? Um, Izzy's voice. Oh, I love it. Chelsea, what do you got? The first thing you want to do when we're out of the COVID woods. I want to, I want to go home to Australia. There you go. Uh, if you, uh, you know, you got a beautiful home, uh, you, you and Tim uh, like to cook uh, and uh, good food uh, foodies. Who would you invite over for dinner if you could pick anybody, living or dead? Um, I have two answers to this, actually. Uh, one is Michael Jordan, because I've always been a big fan of his, and especially after watching The Last Dance. Um, I just yes. love his mindset. And the other is my dad. My dad passed away like 14 years ago, and he actually has never met Tim, obviously, or Izzy. So, yeah, my dad. Thank you so much, Rini. This has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and we so appreciate your time, and we really Cannot wait to share this with Iron Man World. Well, Rini, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I just, it's great to watch uh, the fear that you strike in all your competitors' eyes when you show up. Oh, no, Rini's racing. Oh, no, man, <laughs> Rini's racing. Yeah, <laughs> Rini's racing. So we look forward to seeing you back racing in the future. And it's great to hear your Kona aspirations still. We love you. And uh, thank you for your time. Awesome. No, thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Eric and Chelsea. Wow, Chelsea, unbelievable. What information. That was amazing. I don't think I've ever heard Rini be that candid. And it was pretty enlightening to hear all about her family, 
her transition to working with Julie Dibbins, baby number two on the way, her partnership with Tim and how they both perform at the highest level yep. at Kona, the biggest race of the year. It's It was pretty fabulous stuff. I sure learned a lot about Rennie today and I cannot wait to share this one. Please subscribe to The Chelsea and Eric Show. Brought to you by Hoka One One and Iron Man.